On episode 14 of the Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I will be discussing, as always, this week in college futures where we talk about the likeliest four teams we believe that will be in the college championship. We talk about NFL and the disparity between the AFC and the NFC in terms of quality teams in the playoffs. Then we delve into uh, this week in touts and Faderade. We're talking about some interesting subjects, one of which is the value of taking parlays or when you take parlays. And we move on to other segments um, around our, our normal Hilton contest picks or super super contest picks. No survivor, but man versus machine as always. As always, the Bet the Process podcast is brought to you by the Sports Action app. It's the best way for sports bettors to track their bets, see live odds, and get great gambling analysis. As Barstool Big Cat says, Sports Action is the best app for the sports better, and it's not even close, and it's available for free on the App Store and Google Play. So with that, let's start the process. Welcome to episode 14 of the Bet the Process podcast. Uh, I'm Jeff Ma in San Francisco, and we're talking again, as always, to Rufus Peabody. Peabody? Peabody? Peabody. Uh, I'll be your Peabody if you want. Portugal. I don't even know what that means. It just sounds dirty in like a not cool way. Uh, let's start off with this week in college and this week in futures. Um, what are your latest rankings look like i imagine not much has changed from last week no not really and and to be honest after sort of the the whiff for real we had with uh, projecting the committee's rankings last week you know we'd probably whiff again if we did it the same way using the same model but we still have georgia pretty high um georgia actually did come off of a, a really impressive win 42 to 13 over kentucky but the final score is actually pretty deceptive they played a lot better and it actually ranks ranks as the third best uh game grade of the week with the massive game grade. got it um so then we would go back to the question i always ask you which is what do you think the most likely four team combination is going to be right now like if you're going to bet on one I'm, I'm going to throw that back at you. I'm, and I actually have like a list of, uh, of combinations and, and the, their likelihood. And the most likely actually only has a 10.1% chance, according to our model. But what do you think that is? What do I think the most likely is? Yeah. Um, I know your system a little bit, so I'm guessing it's got to be Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State. No, Georgia actually. Actually, I was I would have said Georgia except for the the next question I was going to ask you. Um yeah. I mean, so and then is that Ohio State one the next most likely? Um it's yeah. Well, Wisconsin, no, well, it, it's not going to yeah. If Alabama wins out, then Ohio State has a path in. Is is the reason that that is the most likely one because there's almost like two scenarios where that can happen? The Georgia like, one, yes. Well, Basically, the, like well, Alabama yeah. could lose. Alabama could lose the Iron Bowl, and still go, and then Georgia wins, or Georgia could beat Alabama in the SEC championship, and that scenario would play out. Or Georgia loses. You know, what I mean, there's almost like three scenarios where that could that could happen. Well, Georgia, no, Georgia needs to win out. So. That has to happen, but Alabama can lose either this week or next week, and we still think that the committee will take them over a two-loss Ohio State team that wins the Big Ten. But we think that they would take Wisconsin, an undefeated Wisconsin over a one-loss Alabama. Interesting. So it's obvi- it's more likely that Ohio State um, wins the Big Ten. They're 75%. But if Wisconsin wins the Big Ten, they're in for certain. What do we have as Ohio State? Um, what do you have as the Ohio State Wisconsin line? You have any idea on what Ooh. that is for your numbers? That's a good question, and I'm gonna look. I'm guessing it's got to be like Ohio State around minus nine, minus ten. Yeah, that's about right. I would make it minus nine. Yeah. 
that's going to be on a neutral. So my guess is there's going to end up being, you think there'll be value on Wisconsin? I mean, sorry, value on Ohio State? You know, there's been value every week, it seems like, so maybe. What do you think the Alabama-Georgia line would be? Um, Neutral Alabama field. minus seven. I make that nine too, or nine point four. But but that's it is at the Georgia Dome, I believe, which is technically a neutral field, but not really. Well, how much would you give for home field there? I mean, Georgia? like a half a point at most. And most of that's come it's not, from. It's, like, it's not like Alabama's that far away. I mean, maybe a half a point to a point, but. I could actually take a look at the travel distance and sort of see what my home field adjustment thing would be if it was if the Georgia Dome was actually Georgia's home field and then try to go off of that. But would you do a census on Twitter to try to figure out how many Georgia fans would be there versus Alabama fans and then do some sort of a uh, model which projects out the or an extrapolation, I guess, that projects out what the overall crowd makeup would be? No. You know, that's an interesting idea, but but I don't think that the crowd has anything to do with it. Really? You don't think the crowd has anything to do with home field? I mean, I I guess the pressure on referees and things like that, but but aside from that, not really. So you think think it's mostly familiarity familiarity and travel? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, actually a few years back, I tried to look and see how much the Seahawks home field advantage. um, Well, basically, I tried to look and see if I could project how many extra false start penalties they got based on home field and all that stuff. And, you know, I mean, a false start's not worth that much, but then I guess you can ask the question, like, just because you don't get a false start doesn't mean you're able to communicate the line that well. And and so it's a yeah. slope. That, that's the crowd noise argument there. Well, and yeah, I mean, I, there's, I, this is a hard one because every time we go into this, we're going to start talking about some very, subjective narratives right i mean you have yeah, it's a rabbit hole you have like uh the idea that you know the momentum or the effort um that the crowd noise creates you have the referee bias that the crowd noise creates um you know so it's it's tough um but that's interesting so in both cases what is the likelihood then do you think that ohio state makes it you said that from what you're saying to me, you think they just need to win out and have Alabama win out, and you think they make it? Yeah, I think that's the simplest thing. Um, so you think that two win Ohio State will make it over a not like a sorry two, two loss. loss Ohio State will make it over a one loss Miami, a one loss Wisconsin, a two loss Notre Dame, and a two loss Georgia. A one loss here. Say those again. Okay, well, these are the people you're, you're saying Ohio State has a 74% chance to win out. I'll show Alabama you where they are in the pecking order. has a 49% order. chance to win out. What? I have my little pecking order thing here that says it's what the model, it's what the model assigns each team, um, or the committee model places each team based on uh, different place, uh, different um, possibilities. Sorry, my brain's not working. I was, uh, I was up really early today. But Ohio State is sort of sandwiched between a two-loss Oklahoma that wins the that wins the Big 12. So if Oklahoma loses to West Virginia, which is unlikely, um, and a one-loss Miami. You know that, that, you know that Baker Mayfield suspended, right? No, he's just not starting. I know. It's, it's kind a of big a difference. Funny, the funniest. So he just won't play on the first drive. It, it, it's just so you they think can it's say just that they're the doing something. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe the first quarter. Well, Will, I don't know. Not, Will Greer's not playing either, right? They're... they're you know they're allowing themselves some uh, some wiggle room there. So if they're losing, you know he'll play more. I bet. But yeah, so yeah, Miami one lost Miami that does not win the ACC is right ahead of Ohio State. But you know there's it's, it's all probabilistic here. And, and then that Oklahoma that's well, that, a two but loss. Then, and then Oklahoma or wait, then wait, a two loss ECU stop, stop, that wins stop, the Big Twelve stop, is around there too. So. Stop. You said to me, oh, I get, it. I, I understand. So. You're saying that you think that if Ohio State wins out and Alabama win out, the like there's there they have a you know better than fifty percent chance to get in, but you still think there's a chance that they don't get in. For sure. Okay. And you don't really see any scenarios where Notre Dame gets in. 
Well, Ohio State doesn't have to just Ohio State's winning winning out is 62 percent. They're 75 percent to win the Big Ten, but they have to beat Michigan first. Uh, Notre Dame, I see them like, OK, if they win out, their likelihood I have is 0.6 percent. So I guess it's like right above right below UCF's of 0.7. But overall, I have Ohio State with only a 23 percent chance. So pretty low. So we will have a UCF team who has a good chance to go undefeated. Obviously, they have a difficult game in South Florida. They, they, do they have a conference championship? They must. Who are yeah, they they'll be playing Memphis, I believe. They play well, USF, but they have to beat USF to actually make the conference championship. They're a 10-point favorite. That'll be a good game. UCF-Memphis, it's going to be a lot of scoring. It'll be fun. The rematch. Yeah. Believe it or not, I only have UCF as 45% to go undefeated. They got to win both these two games. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, though, right? I mean, yeah. Okay. Uh, any value in college this week? Where do you see it? Um, how did you do last week? Did we... How did I do last week? I, I think it was right around 50%. What, I, I had four plays. I think there was two and two. I think you were two and two. Let's go look no, at I it. Five. Okay, Auburn minus 36 and a half lost. Army plus two and a half. Ooh. That lost by the hook. Uh, Ball State plus 21. Ohio State minus 40 and a half. Lost. Yes. And Oklahoma minus 36 and a half at Kansas. One. I think that one. Right. Yeah. That two and three. Lost, two. Uh, yeah. I, I got the Army at plus three, but that doesn't uh, that doesn't help me here. It does not, it does not help you there. No. Um, uh, so this, this week... week Let's. We got a bunch of interesting games. Our Arkansas plus eleven against Missouri. Maybe Brett Bielema's last game. Uh, Virginia Tech minus seven at Virginia. Iowa minus three at Nebraska. Washington minus nine in the Apple Bowl against Wazoo. And uh, Memphis minus twenty-seven and a half against East Carolina. And the last one is USF plus ten at UCF. So I'm going to the Stanford-Notre Dame game, taking my dad there because he's a Notre Dame alum. Any value there for uh, for a little wager? Nah. I got Stanford uh, minus a point. Well, Notre Dame's favored by two, so no value at all? Well, I'm minus 1.2 if you want my you know, more specific number. Got it. Um, and then uh, how much how much would that need to move to for you to have value on Notre Dame? Oh, I don't know. I'm sorry for you to have value on Stanford. Honestly, it depends on the time of the week, too. If I was getting, you know, if there is the bigger, a bigger discrepancy earlier in the week is going to be worth a little more to me than a bigger discrepancy on game day, just because the market's going to be more inefficient then huh. in the early in the week. That that actually dovetails well into something we'll probably talk about in, in Faderade slash Char or this week in Touts, which is the difference in what the market looks like from the beginning of the week to later in the week. And so, you're basically saying that you respect the market more later in the week, so you would need a bigger uh, discrepancy later in the week to make it um, something that you would you would do. Yeah, exactly. I haven't quantified it exactly because I don't have the I don't know, I haven't I don't have like midweek numbers, but I quantify how much to weight my model versus the closing mark like closing line, and then I sort of you know, early in the week I kind of. Um, I'm gonna. I assume it's gonna be a little bit stronger, given that the lines tend to move my way um, more often than not. Do you think that? I mean, the market. Do you think the market's changed at all in the last few years in terms of the money that's in the market and the money that moves the market? You know, I don't know. It's. I think the market has gotten more efficient as markets tend to do. There's more analytics out there now, and I mean, more people doing the same kind of thing that I'm doing. So theoretically, line moves would be more meaningful now because the market is more efficient. Yeah, but maybe the opening openers are more efficient too. I don't know. Huh. Because wouldn't you think that – Would you do you agree or not with this? Do you think that those – the sharper numbers are going to be baked into the opener because the bookmakers, the odds makers are getting to see – how the how teams have been bet in previous weeks and th- and where the lines have gone. Yeah, I mean, I think that they learn. They'll certainly learn more. And if the market is more efficient, period, that everyone should be more efficient. Um, 
I guess, I guess when I'm, I don't know, like there, there definitely just seems like, and this would be really interesting to look at. It seems like there's bigger line moves now recently in, in sports like baseball and, you know, you, you see in the NFL, you see in college, there's just bigger line moves now than there ever were. Um, but that's completely anecdotal. Like I haven't done any real data analysis on that, but it, that would kind of be interesting to look at to see if the absolute line moves are much bigger now than they used to be. That, that would be interesting. I, I would, my guess would have been that line moves would be getting smaller over time. Yeah. That's if you would per, per your, per your assessment or what we just said, um, but maybe they're more willing to go to bigger moves because they're more willing to like understand that they're wrong. Uh, maybe they profile better is better. Well, so let's like look at an interesting one is, is the Dallas Philly game um, on Monday night. You know, your model liked Dallas at plus three and a half. Um, I think you may have even been one of the people that moved that line down to three briefly. And then it went all the way up to six and a half in some places by game time. So do you think that the people on the other side of that bet were analytics betters? Or do you think that was just a lot of money because um, it's an NFL Monday night game just flooding in and books trying to like not get run over? Well, I think a lot, I think part of it's injury. I, I don't know. I mean, Sean Lee was out, as was uh, Dallas's left tackle. I forget his name. Tyron but, Smith. Yeah, who's apparently really good. And I don't have that baked into my model, and that's something that yeah, I, I mean, would love Sean to Lee was, Sean, Lee was, Sean, Sean Lee was known, right? Tyron Smith was not known until, you know, pretty close to game time or you know, okay. a couple of days before game time at least. It doesn't explain – It does. it's not – but I don't know if it explains quite that movement, right? Because a lot of that was probably built into the line originally. Yeah, I would think a lot – some of it was for sure, the Sean Lee thing. And Sean Lee is – valuable to dallas i'm not just because i can't quantify it doesn't mean it's not true but because you know i don't know specifically why that moved it was a primetime game yeah i guess i guess what i'm asking is do you believe there's people that have much different analytics than you do when they look at a game and are finding inefficiencies that you don't and maybe being able to quantify injuries better than you do or something like that. And that's, you know, obviously just because Philly killed them doesn't mean necessarily that the market was right. Um, if you watch that game, you would think the market was correct. Um, but in the case of your model or your analytics, right, it, it, it really said that Dallas was the play at three and a half um, and then went up to six and a half and there was tons of money on Philly. So I guess I'm just wondering, like, what would you know? Have you talked to people, or have you ever met someone that's on the other side of you and is sharp, and you are like, "Oh, wow, they're doing something completely different than I am." Oh, of course, all the time. There's definitely sharp people that are on opposite sides of me in games. Yeah. Do I do I like to know that necessarily? Not really, because then I have to gauge how much I respect this person and what they're doing versus my own numbers. And I, and if I hold off playing some game because someone else is someone else I respect is on the other side. And, it, and if that play would have won. You know, yeah, but we've already yeah. talked about this. This, is, this isn't like about holding off on making a no. play to me. This is about learning and trying to improve your model, right? I mean, clearly injuries are becoming a huge, even more than ever, becoming a huge part of NFL. And like you were frustrated with quarterback injuries. Like we, we had Green Bay last week and we would have had uh, Buffalo last week um, but we were basically like, no, we're not, we're not doing that with Peterman. But we did take Green Bay, and that was pretty, pretty uh, fruitless. Right. Hundley's looked awful. Safer. He has, and it's hard to understand that he's. The, it's hard to believe he's this bad. Like, you know, he was certainly a, a backup quarterback that people thought was going to be pretty good because of how he played in the preseason and just generally his pedigree. I think the problem with Hundley. Honestly, and I had heard this before from people in the NFL that McCarthy's scheme is so bad and it only works mm -hmm. because like Aaron Rodgers is like God. And so you put Hunley, who's not God, into that system. And the thing is, like, if Hunley can run and they're not even getting him, giving him a chance to kind of run. And I know that's not a long term solution in the NFL because you're going to lose your quarterback, but certainly in a short 
time when you're trying to get someone kickstarted, I would allow him to run more often than he does or give him some opportunities to run more often than it is. So the same thing is true with Dallas. Like I would like them to like let Prescott run a little bit more, get him outside and allow him to sort of create more than just this, you know, incessant desire to make these guys pocket passers is for guys that just aren't pocket passers. It drives me crazy. Especially when these guys are, it's like, it's like that insanity thing. It's right. It's doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And I think, I feel like that's what they do. No, I think Prescott should run more. I, I think he ran more last year. I don't, that's just anecdotal, but yeah. But with Hungley, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, McCarthy, I, years ago, when I, I remember how predictable his play calling was and just it was, it was so aggravating to watch. He was the most, he's conservative. He was kind of the poster child for, for coaches that, or head coaches that do not make analytical decisions in terms of in game management. And so I, I don't really. I, I think he, I've long thought he's sort of an overrated coach. Did you watch them the Monday night game last night, or did you? Do you know what happened? Yeah, I, yeah. I, I I lost my both my second half uh, side and total on that two point conversion. <laughs> I'm sorry about that. Um, in that By the game, hook on both. In that game, Carroll made some very questionable decisions, um, or at least what people thought were questionable decisions. He went for that fake field goal at the end of the first half. And to it's be like honest, no time left. Well, but I, I mean, I think he believed that that was going to get him a touchdown. Well, your odds, the, the odds of getting 17 yards on a play, I don't care what, you know, I don't care how much surprise you element you think you have or the formation, your odds of getting a 17 yard touchdown on a play are never going to be like 50%. I wouldn't think. I mean, they have to be, relatively high because it's the difference in three and seven points right yeah and i think the other thing that you know and i'm not sure how the fact knowing the fact that he was going to get the ball figured into his decision making the other thing that he did that that really drove me crazy was they had seven seconds left before that kick and they didn't run a play they should have run a play and to me that's a matter that's like this loss aversion right where they're so worried about the downside I mean, you have Russell Wilson, who is a very good quarterback, is not going to do something stupid. Um, the it's worst thing that happens, Sean Kaiser, right? Right. The worst thing that happens is he throws the ball away. There's very little chance that he's going to throw a ball that gets someone gets caught in bounds. And you know, getting—I I have no idea like what the difference is in probabilities there, but I imagine getting five, six yards has uh, has you know an appreciable. Um, it's just a different field goal at that point, especially when it's, you know, it seemed like it might have been kind of cold there. The ball wasn't traveling that well. You know, Blair Walsh has a big leg, and for him to come up, like, short on a 50-yarder, although that guy's been making a career kicking inside, so maybe maybe it's his leg isn't quite as great as I would think it is. I mean, he came up short. Of course, getting five yards would have changed the equation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that a question? Well... It would have in that case, but I don't think that's fair yeah. necessarily to use as the anyways. Okay, let's move on to NFL since we're already talking about it. Who do you think we're going the top off script today here, huh? What's up? We're going off script a little bit. Yeah. Go well, I mean, I, like- I think there's some interesting things to talk about. Um, there's some things that have been on my mind. So let's go to the top four teams in the AFC. Um, you have them. Well, let's just I guess your top your power ratings, right? You have New England, Philly. New Orleans, which is interesting right. to me, um, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, and Seattle. You still have as the number six team. And I Seattle's imagine another team with injury issues that are not factored into the model. Obviously, Camp Chancellor, Richard Sherman, and Cliff Averill have a big effect on that defense, and you could see it watching that game last night. Yeah, but I imagine when your game grades come out, that their game grade is not going to come out that poorly. They basically spotted them 14 points with some ridiculous turnovers, right? Like, and that's how they got down 21-7, and then they came almost came all the way back. Um, and actually, you're right. Their game grade for this week, they're uh, number 10. Atlanta's number nine. So they, yeah, plus 2.84 for Seattle, plus 2.9 for Atlanta. Right. So they beat Atlanta on your game grades and they were home playing against a lesser team. Right. So, so won. that's right. Um, exactly. anyways, so you have, you have new England. It looks like head and shoulders above 
why why do you why do you like them so much more than Philly? Is that priors right now or? Yeah, a large part of it is, but New England really distinguished themselves. Priors, both, what, both sorry, by priors, by priors, it's basically what the outlook of the two teams was going into this season. Um, and in, in in Rufus's mind, those priors matter um, even this late in the season. They do. I mean, when, when the, the example I give is, do you really not want to look at what Brady's done the rest of his career before this season when you're trying to determine what he's going to do for the rest of the year? He's he's actually getting better because he's has a really good diet. So and then yeah, I say this to someone and they're like, well, you know, if it wasn't a forty year old quarterback, I might agree. But like with Brady, he's forty, so maybe I'm only going to look at this year. But I mean, the point is, you could you could say that with anybody, Aaron Rodgers, whatever. Um, the fact is, you know, seven, eight games, nine, ten, whatever we're at, it's a small sample. So do you think Philly is like truly elite? Then or are they the odds on favorite to represent the NFC? They are an elite team, yeah, and they are the favorite to represent the NFC. They have a 59% chance of locking up the number one seed, 83% chance of a first-round buy, and they're 35% to win the NFC. And they're with how good they are, you'd think it would be higher, but they're just hurt because the NFC is so deep and so stacked. Did you guys take any of that 25-1 uh, to 1 or whatever that we had on Philly? I don't know when we said that was like week three or week four or something like that. I got a lot of Philly futures. Really? Good for you. Early on. First few weeks of the season. You'll have to hedge that. You want to hear something crazy? So in the NFC, there's only a 25% chance that a uh, nine win or uh, fewer, that the sixth seed has a nine wins or fewer. There's a 35% chance that a 10 win NFC team misses the playoffs. A 9% chance that two 10 win teams miss the playoffs. And in in one out of 5,000... Simulations. Actually, I think it was like four out of twenty thousand, but one in five thousand chance that there are uh, ten NFC teams that get to double digit wins. That seems kind of ridiculous. Which would mean you'd have four of them missing the playoffs. That would be cool. One in five thousand chance, though. Yeah. Yeah. So in Jim Carrey parlance, so you're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. Uh, so this would be another completely, completely different in the AFC. There's a there's an 84 percent chance that the six seed has nine or fewer wins, and there's one in one percent of the Sims the a the number six seed has only seven wins. So you could have a a seven win team possibly getting the wild card. That looks like another New England cakewalk to the Super Bowl, and where everyone complains about how they've had such an easy AFC this whole run where they've been good. Uh, yeah, what do you 50%. think about New England? What's up? Fifty percent for them to make the Super Bowl now. Wow. Yeah. What is? I, uh, you don't think that the the? So do you think you're buying into the narrative that the defense is much improved or? You know their defense. I don't think it was as as bad as people thought early on. They were per, they were dreadful in a few games, but in the first four games they had the second worst average defensive game grade, and since then, since week five, they've been the tenth best. And this does control for strength of opponent. Um, Massey Peabody's only considered them a below average defense, actually, from a predictive standpoint, one week this season. And that's because of priors. So that was going into week five. And now now they're up to number 13. But they're such a unique defense in the fact that you know, they're last in rushing efficiency, fourth to last in passing efficiency, and last in play success, which are three of the four components of Massey Peabody. But they're first in scoring efficiency. And scoring efficiency, uh, if you don't know, is how you translate yards into points. It's literally points divided by yards. So in this case, it's points allowed divided by yards allowed. And so it's sort of the epitome of a defense that's bend but not break in a way. And if you think that that's you know, something, it, it, you know, there is a lot of luck in it, but New England also was number one in that last year, and they were number eight the year before that. So I think at some point you have to think that it's, it's scheme. And obviously it does factor into... The model so there is predictive value in it but yes priors are the main reason that new england's defense is um graded out right now is like 0.7 points above average yeah got it how about new orleans are they an elite team you have them as the number four team now but do you think they're, oh, they're elite? De- i think they're definitely or number elite. three I team sorry number i don't, three I don't team. buy into their defense being elite though oh 
Well, their defense, I, think, I don't think is elite. I don't think people think it is, right? They think it's gotten a lot better. Well, I expected my prior for their the Saints defense was last in the NFL. Oh. And they've been a little bit above average. And so I'm still projecting them as a below average defense. So their value is all about offensive efficiency. Yeah, exactly. All right. Let's move on to Faderade. And what I wanted to ask you about a little bit before we sort of got into get into our typical um, some topics from Twitter, et cetera, was a little bit about parlays and teasers. Um, it, am I correct in saying that correlated parlays used to be allowed a lot more than they are now, and now people are pretty aware of them? Yeah, I think so. My good buddy, uh, Jason Bean, who worked at LVSC back when I was there in 2008, and he worked there 10 years before, he said that, I remember him telling me he once got a, my Oklahoma minus 41 parlayed with over 44 for the same game. Yeah, I yeah. think I People think used uh, to be stupid. Steve Fezzik has also said that exact story. So that might be urban legend, urban myth. Um, you want to explain quickly what a correlated parlay is so people understand it? Well, they have to know what a parlay is first, which is betting that two things simultaneously happen or two things both happen. Um, but and then you get a little bit podcast, better. They probably know. Okay. So what about a correlated parlay? Correlated parlay are when the two events, uh, when there's a correlation. So in that example, minus 41 correlated with over 44. If you think about how often Oklahoma wins by uh, 41 uh, and does not get that game to go over 44, it's a very, very, very small percentage. So there's a very strong correlation between the two. And the payout on a parlay is based on those events being independent. So if there is a correlation, you are going to uh, have you can have an advantage. So do you think a correlation is the only time to do a parlay? No, I think that if you have an edge on two separate bets and you parlay them, you have a big uh, a bet with a bigger edge. But I think you see people, you know, I think a common thing that recreational bettors do is parlay a bunch of money line favorites thinking that, you know, it's all these teams are supposed to win, right? And they tr they make it sort of a lottery type bet. But in that case, you know, their edge is is magnified because if you think about it this way, what well, they're you're saying, average, okay, so so if you have an edge, so it, why don't why don't you do all of your bets as parlays? Because I'm not going to be able to bet as much. Because you can't get as much down. No, exactly. On a parlay. No. Do you do like random parlays of two games that are not correlated? No, I, I don't because I won't be able to get full limit on the game. Got it. Um, but and if then, you're, if you're not, if you're if you're not sort of trying to bet limits, then and, and you have a smaller bankroll, then it makes sense to sort of round robin some of these games, possibly. Meaning you sort of parlay a lot of different combinations. If if but, you have an edge. But your but point you on don't this. Have an edge, the point is, okay, a parlay magnifies your edge and changes the risk-reward profile of the bet. But it also magnifies the house's advantage if, you know, if your bet does not, in fact, have an edge. And so it's why I mean, the sports books make so much money off of parlays. They return something like 38 or 40 percent or something. At least that was the numbers one year when I got to see that, when I saw the report. It's pretty high. So when you go back to this concept then of parlays, this money line parlay, Essentially, if you parlay money line parlay a bunch of like big let's let's say big favorites, and each of them you have a small disadvantage at for the recreational better, let's say, um, then you're basically just magnifying that edge and you're getting a, a much worse worse return. Exactly, it's like interest compounding, in a way. <laughs> I don't know if that's really a really good analogy. Huh. You're right, because most people don't think about yeah, most people aren't aware of that. Okay, uh, we'll hand, we'll do teasers next week. Um, let's move on to sort of this. So someone asked me on Twitter, if a line moves against you, say, let's say Cowboys, uh, and the the handle is at Gambler's Head, uh, let's say Cowboys plus four and a half to plus six, do you add a little more? Um, my response was eh, probably meh, but my point, my my question to him was, you know, what's your overall bet size? Do you think you're overbetting the game if you do both? 
my thought was that if he believed he had an advantage at four and a half, obviously he believes he has more advantage at six. If you were sort of betting to Kelly at all, that would make you think about adding a little bit to it based on having an additional edge. But I guess given the fact that the market is sharper, um, which was what Dr. H, uh, Dr. H picks brought up, um, which was a good point, which is betting into those closing line um, probably isn't a great idea generally. And so uh, did you have any thoughts on that? I, th- I thought it was like a relatively interesting conversation. Yeah, I think that line moving from four and a half to six and the fact that it is the day of the game changes my opinion of my original bet at four and a half. It makes it means I wouldn't have wouldn't have wanted to bet that at four and a half to begin with because of because I'm factoring the market and the market's now at six. But I would still think that six is a good bet. But as you said, like whether I want to add on or not depends on how much I'd bet. And if I if there were injuries or anything that I thought uh, were impacting that line that I hadn't quantified, of course. I mean, but let's say that in the case of like, it's a run, it's an injury at a position. For some reason, people think Des Bryant is amazing or something like that. And the, the move because of Des Bryant, you say to yourself, there's no way a wide receiver could be worth a point and a half. And I think the market is just like ridiculous on that. I agree. I think they undervalue the guys in the trenches and overvalue the guys that touch the ball. Yeah. So I guess, I guess generally the idea is that money management is a very challenging thing to do in sports betting beyond just beating, you know, the, the line or beating the market money management is obviously a huge part of it also. Uh, another question we got or another, and this is going to actually dovetail really well into our next segment, which is going to be talking a little bit about, touts and obviously last week um we got a lot of flack about a few pieces of our podcast one was probably not being hard enough on some of the touts and then some people also surfaced that were sort of defending the touts and defending their way of making a living um including you know marco and rj and whatnot um sending some you know specific things to to each of us um about these subjects and so I guess the question becomes, one, you would ask this or thought about this um, from a standpoint of saying, like, is there a a good way for touts to operate? And then I guess another thing would be to talk specifically about some people that were mentioned to me in a tweet, um, Crackman, Right Angle Sports, and ProCap. I don't know if you know much about any of these guys. Um, they're all supposedly people that are professional winning betters, at least according to um, this person that's tweeting at me, Mojack S, Mojax S1. His name is Dot. (laughs) Yeah, his name is Dot at Mojax X1, whatever that means. I think that's just the, I don't actually know what that means. So did you have any thoughts on, on these guys or generally on this, you know, like does the pushback that we're getting from some people on selling picks, does it make you rethink the all touts are bad line of thinking. Well, I think you're the one that has the more of a hard or more, has more of a hard line stance on that than I do. I think that there is some room for some nuance in there. I know you give me you gave me crap for going on Gil's radio show last week um, because Gil has touts on there that are touts we do not respect. But well, I think my so just so you understand, like my biggest concern with this industry is the complicity that people have um, around others in this industry. And what I want to try to have us do is not be part of that, you know, complicity or complicitness or whatever the word is. I'm sure, I don't know what what it is, but, um, and what I mean by that is, is trying our best not to associate with people that we believe are not doing, you know, the right thing um, most of the time or, or all the time. And I think in the Gill situation, I think like obviously one, I think people talk about that we don't, that we leave Gill out of this, even though he was someone who sold picks and, and sold picks that did not do so well. Um, but it's just, it's hard. I don't know if they mean that all touts are the same so much as the, the problem a lot of this has to do with is, is like how you end up having to market yourself um, when you're selling picks. And, you know, one of the things that this guy brought up to me was 
and and I don't know if he meant to do it like this, but I started thinking about this was like, what if you believe you just have winning information, i.e. like, so let's say Crackman, Right Angle Sports or ProCap actually can create a better, you know, line than the sports books can. And even if they put money down and it moves the the line, um, it's just what, what they're not selling is picks. They're just selling information about what the right um, line should be. Do you think that that is okay or is that a better way to end up selling selling information? Well, lots of people sell information. Pro Football Focus sells game grades. You know, I people buy data sets. I don't think yep. that it's a slippery slope. And I think when you say that by going on a radio show where touts also appeared at a different time, like that I'm sort of in a way endorsing that, you know, it's, um, well, you're you can adding, make the you're argument just, that pro adding, football focus is, ta- is a tout to the, company you're too. Adding because, to, you're adding sorry. to the legitimacy of the people that, it, it, I mean, the, the main issue, and again, I don't want to. No, I, I know, I know your issue. I know your issue. The main issue really has to do with like whether Gil actually understands like what our objections are, and I don't think he does. And you know that that was the reason that I decided that I didn't want to work with him professionally because he he couldn't acknowledge that and didn't even want to acknowledge it like publicly. Like just the point that you made around how you went on his show and he wouldn't air the thing where you said your little soliloquy. And that was that was part of the whole thing was that you said you'd only wanted to go on that show if you could sort of air your feelings on this industry and the problems that you have with this industry and he didn't want to air it. So to me, that's an example of him being complicit with this sort of scam of, of selling picks that are not winning picks. But that was his podcast, by the way, not the radio show, just to clarify. But, but I feel like he felt pressure given his relationships with the people that were on the touts that had been on his show for years and years. And I think right. what makes it, I think you're right though. I think personal relationships can make it hard. Like I'm sure he knows, you know, Marco and thinks he's a good guy and all that. I mean, but again, like we've talked about this ad nauseum and it's not Gills is becoming one of those preeminent voices in sports betting. And I think it's important to have him at least not necessarily be complicit with sort of the issues that we're talking about. Um, And it just doesn't seem like he is. And sorry, it doesn't seem like he's aware of them or willing to acknowledge them. And I think that by supporting him, and again, like I've said this a variety of times, like I really like Gil. I think he's a really good dude. But for me professionally, that's something that I want to distance myself from, um, which brings that's us to. Fair. And I understand your argument. Yeah. Which brings us to an interesting point that someone brought up, which is that how do we attack touts when we are sponsored by the Sports Action Network? And I think it's a fair question. It's a fair thing to acknowledge. Um, Brian, me, well, we, started- we, t- we talked about this when we were starting the podcast that we wanted to ha- we did not want to be sponsored by anybody that was giving out free picks or anything or giving out picks or selling picks or. I shouldn't say giving out picks. I should say selling picks. I give out picks. Right. Well, so just to be clear, like Brian Mead, who started the Sports Action um, app, is a very good friend of mine. And he and I have had a variety of fights, like real fights, about the idea of selling picks. Because as he built this um, product, he basically was like, I need to make money somehow. And he, you know, like kind of thought about whether they were going to do this. And I was very staunch in saying, like, listen, I can't work with you um, if if that's what you're going to do. If you're going to sell picks, I just can't do it. And he kind of went into a, a place where they were they were trying to sell more premium content, and, and that's kind of what they've done. They've done a great job with the app, I believe. And then they did um, a few weeks ago merge um, with and form the Sports Action Network, where Sports Insights, who does sell picks, is a part of that. And for me, I made a we made a personal commitment to work with Ryan um, and his app before knowing that. And I definitely think that as the season goes on, we'll have to evaluate whether that's something we want to continue to do to do uh, given the fact that sports insights does sell picks. Um, and it's something that, you know, we as, as a group don't feel necessarily um, comfortable with. And, you know, I think you and I are doing this podcast because we want to build something that's lasting in the sports gambling industry and so we do have to be careful about where we associate. I don't know if you have thoughts on that beyond that. No, I completely agree. So 
Now, finally, did you want to uh, talk about your sports cheetah conversation? Yeah. So on Twitter last week, uh, some guy attacked uh, this guy named Sports Cheetah, at Sports Cheetah, guy named Preston, who, by the way, gave me some excellent restaurant recommendations because he lived in Portugal for for two years. But Preston, he's a nice guy. He's seems to be a smart guy um, from my interactions with him. But he's he does sell picks. And he does it on Wager Talk, which is a site owned, I believe, by Marco D'Angelo, who I have problems with, who is not very transparent, does not have his lifetime records there, um, was shown in the Deadspin article to be uh, to have lost quite a lot for his clients, um, whereas Preston on this site actually, in the hot streak section, just has his lifetime records and posts all his lifetime records. So I, I respect his transparency there. But Preston made this argument on Twitter that... Um, but, you know, someone argued that why would you sell picks if you're a winning better? And Preston basically said, you, you know, not everybody already has a private island. If you're starting small it, and you're betting responsibly, meaning proper bankroll management, it's going to take a while to grow a bankroll. You know, he says it's funny, someone betting 1K game, for example, which is a lot if you're risking 20 to 30K a Saturday on 20 plus games, has a really strong season and makes 20 times 20X or 20K. And people expect that they should have enough money to get islands and wouldn't ever look for other means of income. You know, there's this outside chance that someone, hell, maybe even someone younger doesn't have millions already. So when they are betting and maybe winning, they aren't making enough to buy islands. Novel idea, I know. And so, Jeff, what, what do you think of that argument? The argument that, you know, if you're getting your start, you need to build a bankroll. I mean, that obviously doesn't apply to a guy like Marco, who apparently has been in the industry for 37 years. So he should be okay now at this point if he's winning better. But yeah, he he, he attacked us on Twitter, saying that both of us got fired for um, from our ESPN jobs for sucking after a year. Um, and let's see where we, and he's been providing you know stuff for 37 years. Let's see where we are in 37 years. I think one. We did not get fired island. after a year. You got laid off as a part of ESPN's layoffs. It had zero to do with your record. I would guess that the person that laid you off didn't even know anything close to what your record was. I was on for two years. Um, there's a lot of reasons that I no longer continue to work with ESPN that I wouldn't necessarily get in. But again, I don't think any of them had to do with my record. Um, they probably had to do more with the fact that I wasn't very good on television. I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't good on TV either. TV is hard, man. That kind of TV is, is super hard. I mean, I had some good times and I had some bad times, but generally I don't think I was getting the reps to ever get that much better. And for me to be good at it, I really would have had to commit a lot more of my time and effort. But the point is that like, it's kind of silly to think that we got any, anyone wasn't working with ESPN anymore because of our records, which is not, you know, my record on ESPN was probably pretty close to 500. Um, it certainly wasn't great. It certainly wasn't terrible. I think you did have, a, unfortunately, a bad year, right. one of your worst years um, ever. But that's just, I don't think at all that had anything to do with why you were laid off. You were laid off with hundreds of other people at ESPN at the time. Well, so. I think if I had hit 70%, they probably would have kept me. No. Because I might have driven more no. traffic. I don't know. Who knows? No, you were ridiculous. Well, I'm, if you said the per you're saying the person who made the decision probably doesn't have any idea about any of this stuff so maybe they would be kind of uh a little bit no they don't to these they Rufus, you got laid off you got laid off by a bunch of people yeah, no, yeah. like you're crazy like you could hit 95 percent and they would have still laid you off that's not that's the silliest argument i've ever heard you make and you've made some silly ones so i have uh, back to so back to this whole sports cheetah thing um i guess the question becomes like you know when you're new to this industry, I think you don't understand the negative uh, repercussions that touting or the tout industry can create. Um, and I think that you might look for ways to make money off of selling what you believe to be winning information. I think we've talked about how it's really hard to actually provide winning information long term to people. So you get into a very challenging um, conundrum. And I, I think that hopefully you can find people to partner with potentially that can allow you to profit off your information without necessarily selling your information or supporting an industry um, that does not 
prey on um, does not provide as much value as they they present that they are um, you know presenting. But Jeff, how sense? do you? Yes, it does. But how do you find someone to uh, partner with? I feel like you need to sort of create a name for yourself, and part of that is pro possibly by either giving away picks or posting picks on forums or something like that, or more selling picks. I think giving away picks or posting picks on forum might might be a reasonable way to do it. Um, huh. You know, I think that like a you know Billy Walters is kind of known for finding people and taking them under his wing or whatever, and and sort of like having a network of people doing analytics for him and then, you know, being the guy that actually executes, right? Yeah, like none of his people know each other, right? According to that 60 Minutes thing. I don't know. They only know him. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Um, and then, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we're there's gonna much talk about, are we, Well, are we going to talk about the solution to a bad season is giving away free picks? Yeah, a lot of a lot of touts yeah. have always kind of yelled like, "Oh yeah, well at least when I had this bad season, the next year I gave away my picks for free." It's like, why the hell do I want more of your losing picks for free? That actually seems like a very touty thing to do. I, you know, the way to do it would be to charge based on if you actually won for the person, almost like someone doesn't pay at all for it. It starts at the time of their subscription begins, right? If you're for the time that they are subscribed to you, if you do not come out with a profit, you don't get paid. It's basically just a free roll, right? It's better than charging per pick. Yeah. If someone offered, if someone said to you, but then you'd have to like... And it's long-term though. I mean, long-term like, not... You'd have to, yeah. It's interesting. A free roll. That might be an interesting way to do it. Okay. Uh, let's move on because I'm going to have to go to a meeting in like eight minutes. Um, let's go on to man versus machine. We're going to have to get through this quickly. Okay, let's do it. All right. Let's start. Let's start. Let's start. Opening okay. up my now controversial handy little sports action app. Minnesota minus three at Detroit on Thanksgiving Day. Machine makes it minus 2.9. So Nothing. we go to the next game. The Cowboys hosting the Chargers. They're plus one right now. Machine makes it minus 4.4. Dallas with all their injuries. Machine's on Dallas. Yeah. yeah, I'll take Dallas right. with you. Uh, Redskins a seven-point favorite hosting the Giants. Uh, set, uh, Machine makes it 4.6. Machine is on the Giants. I like the Giants. Cincinnati minus eight hosting Cleveland. Machine has it at 11.6. Machine's on Cincinnati. I'll take the Browns. I will take the Browns until they decide not to have a strip sack, a fumble. Like, it was amazing how many times the Browns tried to give up that cover in excruciating ways. Oh, yeah. And in the end, they were able to do it. The Brown butts. <laughs> Philadelphia, minus 13.5 against Chicago. I have it 13.1. So move to the next one. Patriots, minus 16 and a half. I think that's the biggest line of the season. Hosting the Dolphins. Machine, get ready for it. Minus 20. Whoa. Machine is on the Patriots. Yeah. I'm going to take Miami. I'm going to take I Miami. I can't, I, can't do that. I can't do that. Kansas City, minus 10 against Buffalo. Machine makes Kansas City minus 9.3. Are, are, we, are we doing that? Or are we, is that too close? Yeah, that's too close. Okay. Atlanta minus 10 against Tampa. I have a 9.7. Also too close. Carolina minus 4.5 at the Jets. I have a minus 3.6. Also too close. <coughs> it's within a point. We go to the next. Tennessee minus 3 or 3.5 three at the Colts. Machine has it minus 5.1. So Machine is on Tennessee. I'm going to take Indianapolis. Okay. Put that in the ledger. Yep. Seattle minus seven at San Fran. I have it minus eight. Nothing there. You had it minus what? You broke up. Minus eight. The Rams minus two and a half to three against the Saints. Machine has the Saints as a 0 0.4 point favorite. So Machine is on the Saints. You love the Rams or hate the Rams. Um, I'll be with you on New Orleans. Okay. Jacksonville minus four and a half at Arizona. Machine has Jacksonville minus 2.4, so machines on Arizona. 
Um, I'll take Jacksonville. Okay. Oakland minus five against Denver. Machine makes it minus 2.7. So Machine's on Denver. Um, I'll take Denver. Pittsburgh minus 14 against the Packers. Machine makes it 12.6. So Machine is on the Packers. I will also take the Packers. I believe in Brett Hundley. Yeah. Sorry for you. Uh, <laughs> Baltimore minus seven against Houston. I make it six and a half, so nothing there. Yep. On to All Super right. Contest. So Super Contest picks. Um, How super did we do last week, Jeff? We were three and two. We were unfortunately victims of the strip sack from the Cleveland Browns and Deshaun Kaiser. So I think, I don't know, like New Orleans seems like one for sure. Yeah, I'm with you there. Do we want to take the Giants? Oh, we're not going back. We can take the Giants because it's Thursday game. So we'll have to just have them submit it early for us. Right? You You Giants plus seven. What about the Cowboys? I hate to do it. How about them Cowboys? The worth that much? They're a dog now. Yeah, I think Dallas. You got to do that. One day I'll be able to quantify all these injuries and we'll know the exact line. I think we've got to go to Cleveland. I know that your numbers say Cincinnati, mm-hmm. but... I have... I'm, I mean, that's like... My numbers show a three-and-a-half-point edge on Cincinnati. But you're like they're due, right? It's not so much that they're due. It's just that it's just it's just hard to believe that Cincinnati should be giving eight points to anyone. That's true. And Cleveland's defense is still playing really hard, and Cincinnati just is. You know, I mean, how up can they be for this game? How up can Cleveland be? I mean, I guess they they really want to win a game. I think they really want to win a game. Maybe they're trying too hard. All right, Cleveland. I'm saying Cleveland plus eight. That's one of my yeah. picks. I love your narratives here. Yeah, I know. I'm talking myself into it. Uh, if you're okay. going to do Cleveland, then I'm going to take New England. New England minus 16 and a half? Yeah, that's I a, don't think a lot of people are going to be on that. That's a real way to get back at me because you know I'm a Patriots fan, right? I know you hate big favorites, and I hate big favorites too. I'm fine with big favorites if it's the Patriots. I mean, I wouldn't bet. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Okay, so New Orleans plus two and a half, Giants plus seven, Dallas plus one, Cleveland plus eight, New England minus 16 and a half. We don't actually know what the super contest lines are, but we're guessing. So um, no more Survivor because assuming that most people are out of it, so no one's going to want to hear about it. Anything else from you, Rufus? No, sorry. I just like, I feel like my verbal skills were less than adequate today. I was (laughs) up at... 7 a.m. to go surfing. They're usually marginally it's adequate. A, so, I mean, my yeah, last I know. thing so, is so that it's marginally adequate normally. So when I'm like when I'm struggling, it's yeah, you're like below. I don't even know what's worse level. than marginal. Yeah, yeah. You're below replacement level. Uh, just to be clear, guys, I, I, I know that there's some people out there that are not keen on the way we're going after this podcast, and we're not trying to attack anyone personally, but we're trying to have intelligent conversation about the industry that's objective, that's fair, and that's constructive. And so to that end, I hope that we can continue to do that and we'll continue to engage in people that want to have that type of discussion. Um, We will always try to be accurate. We'll always try to be fair. um, But we may sometimes err on the side of of being a bit controversial. So if that's what happens, like it's it's okay to me. Um, I assume it's okay to you. Um, But that's one of our goals is to try to raise the level of conversation in this industry. Nodding doesn't really help. Nodding doesn't help on a podcast. People can't see. It's professional. It's not personal. All right. There we go. That's, That's the motto for this week. So thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week.